Well, good morning. We appreciate you being here. We've got several visitors that have honored us with your presence, and we're especially glad to have you. We're in the middle of a series. We've called it misquoted. We've called it twisting the Bible principles. And just to refresh your memory, we talked about God wants, God wants us to be happy. So that was one of the first sermons we talked about. A very uh, interesting concept. Then we talked about it doesn't matter what you do. We talked about attend the church of your choice. We talked about it doesn't matter what you believe. And then last week, brother, no, last week was uh, before that, Michael talked about Christians could never, should never judge the behavior of others. And then last week, the Bible we have today has been corrupted as a result, not authoritative. So if you're visiting with us, every one of those statements turned out to be false. And this morning we're looking at another one, and I've just abbreviated it up here. God has a covenant with America. You could say things like America was formed on Christian principles. America was formed on the Christian religion. All of those would uh, have a bearing on what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about this concept of, um, of what a covenant is. So I use the word covenant up there, and some people believe that America is in a covenant relationship with God, and we're going to talk about what a covenant is. We're going to go through a little bit of the history of God's uh, promise or God's covenant in the Old Testament. If somebody wanted to go reboot the computer in the back, that probably would fix this problem. Um, <clears throat> honor um, the history of the covenant of God with Israel. Then we're going to talk about the road signs that uh, you see in some people's yards, Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14, which is a verse that a lot of people put in their yard that talks about a land or a country that's uh, found in Second uh, Chronicles. Then we'll talk a little bit about um, was uh, America founded on, this, on Christian religion. And then we'll finish up with what's God's view on nations. How does, how does God from the Bible look at the different nations uh, that we've seen uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, how he uh, talks about nations. So first of all, let's talk about the word covenant. The word covenant is found in the Old Testament about 280 times, and it's from the Hebrew word bereith, B-E-R-I-T-H. So bereith, or no, no H, just a T, bereith. But they say it with an H, bereith. And that word bereath means to a treaty, an alliance, a bond, a binding agreement. And in the Old Testament, when God made those promises, he usually bound it with blood. Not every time, but um, his covenants that he made with man usually had something to do with blood. And we'll talk about that out of Genesis chapter 15. In the New Testament, it's a diatheke. So diatheke is the Greek word that in the New Testament is used when the New Testament is written, found about 33 times. And it means a contract, a will, or a testament. And so when we think about this concept of a covenant, today we, um, we understand contracts, right? So Ryan's in the construction business and I'm in the construction business. Ryan is in the general contractor business, which means he hires a company like mine to go and do the mechanical HVC, plumbing, all of that. When he does hire me, he sends me a 150-page contract. No, it's probably not that thick, but it's probably 30-page contract in real small print that tells me what all I can do and what I can't do and what my authorities are and what needs to be passed up to his company, what needs to be reviewed, all of the inner workings. And if something happens, here's all the stuff that's going to come into play. 
play. You can go to court. We have to go to mediation. What are all the ways that we're going to try to resolve our problems? That's in this contract. But Ryan and I can get mad at each other, and we can say, hey, you, what, breached my contract. You broke it. You didn't do it. You didn't live up to your part. And then we can go to the courthouse, or we can go to mediation, and we have some other people figure out who's telling the truth, who breached it, who broke it. But God, when God talks about a covenant, he doesn't talk about it that way. And in Genesis chapter 15, when he is forming a covenant with Abraham, he tells Abraham to get some animals, and he said, split them down the middle and lay the two halves on each side. And God comes down and, and, and walks through those dead animals to signify that when I tell you something, I mean it. It's as if, if I don't keep my promise, you can spill my blood. So when God tells us something, he absolutely can't lie. He can't just get out of the contract. And you can rest assured that he's the perfect being that's going to keep his end of the bargain. Still nothing. Um, and so that leads us to this, um, <clears throat> to this idea of, well, is there different types of covenants in the Old Testament? And there are. There are conditional and unconditional. So let me read you a passage out of Genesis chapter 8. This is a covenant that God makes with Noah. He says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the, on the altar. And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground before, because of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from its youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So God doesn't put any conditions on that. He just said, hey, I have the flood is over. We've saved eight souls. I've destroyed the earth by water. I'll never, ever do that again. No conditions. He's just promised he's not ever going to do that again. And we can, be, we can rest assured that even though the tsunami or the whatever might destroy a piece of land or something somewhere, there's never, ever going to be another world flood that kills all of mankind. God has promised that won't happen. But there are also conditional promises. Let's look at, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to some of these scriptures. Exodus chapter 19. I wish they could be on the board for you. Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 5. It says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are, the, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God's talking to Moses here, and he says, here's how I feel about um, you. I, I want you to be a holy people. I want you to be a treasured possession. He says, either words, I want you to go speak to the people. And so Moses called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord hath commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we shall do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So here we have, a, here we have an agreement with God and the, and the children of Israel, but it's got conditions on it. It says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then I will Call you my people. You'll be a holy. You'll be, you'll be like priests. You'll be this, this nation. You'll be a treasured possession of mine. So there's an if-then type of an arrangement. 
And so I wish you could see this beautiful timeline again. I know you can't. Um, so I have a timeline up here from creation all the way to the end of the, the uh, book of uh, the book of the, the, the books of the Old Testament. And so we have this this that this time period when Mo, when Abraham is called and God makes this covenant promise with Abraham and we've talked about that. Chris talked about that. Uh, it's probably been several months now. But he talked about this Abraham and this promise that God made, this covenant that He made with Abraham. And I don't have the notes, but he promised him land. He promised him uh, that through his descendants, all the nations would be blessed. He promised him several, four or five different things. And that was about, if my timeline's right, about 2,200 years before Christ came back. And then that, then from there, <clears throat> there's a period of patriarchs where God talks to the heads of the families, and that's the way he leads people. And then the, the people end up in Egypt and they grow in number and they get into the millions and they're in, ex, they're in, they're, they're in Egypt under bondage and slavery. And then there's the Exodus. They come across the Red Sea and they get to the, they get to the, uh, the mountain there with Moses. And that's where this promise that we just read was talked about as he's talking to Moses. He said, I've given you the Ten Commandments. I've given you... I don't know, hundreds more, but everybody just talks about the ten. I've given you all of these commandments, and if, you're, if, you're, if these people will do that, then they'll be my people, and, and um, they'll be a holy, and they'll, they'll be a, a priesthood. And then, um, and then they go, because they, they get to Canaan, but because they don't believe that God can, they don't believe God can uh, take the, that the, the, the God will let them take the land, only Caleb and Joshua. Then they, they go into the wilderness for 40 years, and finally they come out of the wilderness, and Joshua and Caleb, and they take this land of Canaan and the land promise that was given to Abraham that his people would occupy this land of Canaan came to fruition. And the nation was formed there in, in Canaan. And for many years it was ruled by judges. And for many years it followed God's uh, plan. And for many years, it was a holy nation, and it was blessed. But then it started kind of trying to think on its own. It said, hey, we don't like judges. We want kings like all the rest of the people. And God said, boy, if you want kings, here's what's going to happen. There, there's going to be good ones. There's going to be bad ones. They're going to attack. They're going to put your men in the military. Gonna, all these things are going to go wrong if you want kings. But he let them have kings. And guess what? There were good kings and there were bad kings. And because there were good kings and bad kings, the kingdom ultimately split. Two people wanted to rule at the same time, so they had a northern king and a southern kingdom. And then ultimately, they fell away from God. And guess what happened? He plucked them from the land, just like he said he would. He took them, he took them out, he put them into exile, he put them into bondage. The Babylonians and the other countries came in and conquered them and carried them away. Nehemiah, we talked about just a few months ago, a very, um, a very uh, interesting story where Nehemiah says, my heart aches for the kingdom. And um, I want to go back and I want to uh, build the, rebuild the walls. I want to rebuild Jerusalem, and he does. And there's some period where they live. Uh, they live there post being in um post being in captivity in what's called post-exile, and then that ends the New Testament some 430 years before Christ. So I'll tell you all of that because as we, if we move forward, we'll, uh, we'll see 
that that has some bearing. So here was the here was the pretty graph or graphic, and I even made it. You know, get get gets big, and we went through the whole timeline together. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time doing this. Um, so then we get to this concept of the lesson. So I wanted to give you that historical background on what a covenant was, the relationship that God had with his people of Israel, before we get into talking about road signs or home signs. So I was asked to talk specifically about these types of signs. If my people pray, Second Chronicles, prayer, America's only hope, Second Chronicles, pray, America, Second Chronicles, pray, ch prayer changes things. If my people, Second Chronicles 7.14. So Let's go read 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. Here's what it says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. So is this a conditional promise or an unconditional promise? Conditional, right? We've already learned that much because there's, there's some stuff that he says you need to do if you want me to do this breaks down this way if you'll humble yourselves if you'll pray if you'll seek my face if you'll turn from your wicked ways then I will forgive your sins and I will heal your land that's a covenant that's a promise and we determined that if there's an if and an else that is conditional so do we believe if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways that he forgives our sin and heals our land today Maybe. I mean, parts of that is true. You kind of got to split the baby a little bit. I believe prayer is important. I believe we're commanded to pray, and we'll talk about that for a minute, for our leaders. So we, we, at the, we up here, when we pray, a lot of times we'll pray for this country. We'll pray for the leadership of this country. That's biblical. It's asked for us to do, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But I think the interesting thing about here that's in this Chronicles example is this phrase, my people. Who's he talking about or who's he talking to there? Yeah, Jimmy's already mouthing it up here. He knows, but let's figure it out. So let's go back to the very beginning of that chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered a sacrifice before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Man, that's a lot of animals. Hundreds of thousands of animals sacrificed this day. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their post, the Levites also, with the instruments of music to the Lord that <clears throat> King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by the ministry opposite, opposite them, the priests sounded the trumpets and all Israel stood. So the bigger context of all of this is um, King David wanted to build a temple to the Lord and the Lord said no you're a man of blood I don't I'm not going to let you build the temple but your son Solomon can and that's what has happened here Solomon has built a great temple to the Lord and it's the day that the, it's the grand opening 
That's what this is talking about. It's the grand opening of the temple. And they're offering hundreds of thousands of sacrifices here at the temple. And the Lord is, is, and the Lord is blessing them. It goes on to say, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat. So under the normal course of business, they had built altars that would serve the temple. But today, on the grand opening, those altars weren't big enough. So they had to go to the middle court to sacrifice all these animals and all the things that were going on. In that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days, and all Israel with them, and a great, and a very great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly, and they, and they, uh, and they had, for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days in the feast seven days. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of the heart glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. So Jimmy said it a minute ago, his people in that chapter 7, I mean chapter 7 and verse number 14, were, were the people of Israel. So he's making a covenant again with the people of Israel that if you'll do those four things, I'll heal your land and forgive your sins. So in a few verses later, cut out here in the middle, is the verse that everybody cuts out and puts on their yard sign. And then a few verses later it says, But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. In this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast it out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all the people. He says, I'll destroy it. It'll just be a story if you don't follow me. And we went through the history, right? So this, is, this matches perfectly with the history timeline that I tried to show you and I had to talk you through. Um, but he, he, he ultimately does pluck them out of the land and he takes them away or they are taken away into Babylonian captivity. Why? Because they didn't do this. Now, it's, you can't just pluck chapter 7 verse 14 out and not want verse 16 too. <laughs> and I don't think any of us want this, right? If we're not, if we're not living the way that for all, all those that aren't living, they just, you know, just take the nation down. But anyway, I, I think there's a there's uh, more to the story here. So that's what he means in chapter 7 when he says, my people called by my name, called by Israel, my people, the Israel people. So switching gears just a little bit, and we'll come back to this. Was America founded on Christian principles? This is a tough one to swallow for me because I've always kind of been raised and thought that, yeah, that's true. Some of the founding fathers were Christians and America was founded on Christian principles. But it doesn't take you very long of reading the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or the amendments to figure out that isn't true. In fact, the very first amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It says the government and religion are completely different. They're completely separate. There's a separation of church and state. Government is not involved in religion. They're two different things. 
So to think that our laws and our government is based on religion, it's very clear. In 17 whatever this was written, two different things. We don't, we don't want religion. And the reason was they had seen church state, they had seen church state countries. They didn't work out very well. I mean, the Pope had tried to rule all of Europe. He had sent people on holy wars trying to gain land and territories, and he had tried to overthrow kings and various different ones of them. They had seen a church state doesn't work out. They knew that. They knew the history. They, we don't want that here. We want a government of the people and by the people, and we want religion to be over here. You can do what you think is right. You want to be a Christian, you want to be an Islam, you want to be a Jew, you want to be whatever, you can do that in America. Freedom of religion, you can do whatever it is you want. Further clarifying that, in 1797, our first president signed a treaty called the Treaty of Tripoli. And in that treaty, it said the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. 1797, our first president. So they were very clear when they founded this nation, it was two separate things. We've tried to start blending them together. And there's a reason for that, right? Christian principles are good and we want our government to adopt those things. But at the end of the day, two totally separate things. So the answer to that is no. So what's God's view of nations? Well, let's look in Romans. Romans gives us uh, what I think is just an awesome uh, groundwork for this. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. You would have no fear of the one who is, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you, do not, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all that is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. There's a whole sermon here probably. But we're just going to look at a couple of things. Whoops, didn't mean to do that. Boom, boom. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. When you look at the Old Testament, you see God's hand in government. He causes things to happen, and he allows things to happen, and he rises up kings, and he takes down kings. So this is, a, this is a, one of those thin lines. It depends on what, but if you're worried, worried about the government and leadership, I would tell you that worry's misplaced. There's a bigger thing at play here. 
If you're in politics and that's your business and you can affect change, absolutely go for Christian principles and make those things happen. And to the extent your vote as an individual can alter that policy and move it towards a Christian morality, absolutely be involved in that. But to worry about it is sinful because God's in control of it. So God has a view of nations. Let me take you through another passage here. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. In Revelations it talks... That's all right, Jimmy. Uh, In Revelations it talks about um, every nation is going to have people that are saved in it. So if we think, hey, only Americans are in a covenant relationships or only Americans are Christians or whatever, dead wrong. Nigerians are going to heaven. Russians are going to heaven. Every nation. Britons are going, British are going to heaven. Everybody's got Christians. Everybody's going to have representation there. This is not an America against the world thing. I don't think any of us here think that, but um, every nation is going to be blessed. In Acts chapter 17, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He's in control of the borders of the country. He's in, determined, he's in control of how long a country is going to live or die. God is in control of the countries and the boundaries and everything that's going on. It's all going to work out for his glory. That's at least my understanding of those scriptures. So does God have a covenant today? Most of you that are here are shaking your head because you know you're in a new covenant. You're, you're in a new part. It says, but as, but, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. In Hebrews chapter 13 it says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. So we've got these verses that talk about a covenant that Christ is mediating is better and a covenant that he is mediating is eternal Today, we're in a covenant relationship with God if we're Christians. But again, it's a, it's a conditional covenant, no different than the one he had with the children of Israel. You don't just get to be in the relationship. There are things that you have to do and believe and act upon, just like the Old Testament. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came here to save your soul. You've got to be willing to repent. You've got to be willing to say, I was worldly. I am turning to a yonder star that is Jesus Christ and is something better. You've got to be able to confess. You've got to be willing to say, man, I'm, I'm, I messed up. I confess that Jesus is the Christ and I confess that I need to follow him. And you've got to be baptized so that you come in contact with the blood of this covenant to wash away your sins. So there is a covenant, and there is a covenant that you want to be uh, in. It's not that you're a U.S. citizen. It's that you're a citizen of God's kingdom. That's the covenant you want to be in, and that's the covenant relationship that Jesus Christ has with you today. So should we pray for America? Yeah, absolutely.
just realize that it's not an if-then thing. It's not if I pray for America by saying, uh, God, come in and it, the answer might be no. I mean, we're in, a, we're in a political situation right now, right? We've got a president that's been acting out, and I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, you can't tell me that he's been acting godly. So he's been acting out. And you've got another party that says, hey, let's get him out of office. And I can't sit here and tell you what's going to happen. I am confident that God's in control. So whether the Democrats are successful or whether they're not, that will depend on whether God wants Trump to stay in president or not, in my mind. That's what I think these verses teach me. Uh, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy says, I exhort therefore that the first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 1 Timothy is Paul is writing to the young evangelist. He says, I exhort you, pray for peace. Pray for the kings. Pray for the rulers. Pray for the authority that you can live in peace. Hopefully, at least it gives you something to study and to think about. Hopefully, you're in the covenant relationship with Jesus Christ that we talked about. If you're not, we offer an opportunity for you to... Uh, get into that covenant relationship with Jesus this morning. If you are, but you say, wow, I've had some troubles, and you think the church's prayers would help you in that regard, then we'd be glad to offer that for you as well. If there be one of either class, if you come forward while we stand and sing.